This episode of I'm a Podstar, Not a Doctor is sponsored by The Surgic, your secure and live connection into the operating room, bringing you the best live surgical events from the world's leading surgeon. Visit vsurgic.com for more information. Because I'm small? Like Lord Farquaad small? You think I'm Lord Farquaad small? I don't think so. You need that lid. I'm going to get you that wig. (laughs) You look sweet with a, a nice tight bob. (laughs) because <laughs> like the the other people in that show must be pretty big right because they're kicking it with shrek and like shrek's fucking huge and like some of them don't look that small compared to shrek but lord four card looks really small so i'm like but is that me is that me but- <laughs> trying to get a lot of dough anything is possible turn me up in the headphone Yeah, grind it, get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and vomit nose. Anything is possible. What's up, everybody? What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up? What up? What up, what up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to I'm a Pod Star, not a doctor, featuring your boy Cuff Daddy and American Pharaoh. We pretty much got that show where we're just going to fuck around and uh, have some fun. And you might accidentally learn some shit. So that's the vibe. Catch it. What's up, Sharif? What's going on? You know, I'm uh, I'm just hanging out today. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, I'm going to announce something. I'm uh, I'm leaving my practice and I have one more day of work. And so I haven't really talked about it on the pod. And your face is pretty crazy right now because you're like stunned. <laughs> so uh yeah i have one more day and uh i'm excited and i have uh, new things on the horizon i can't speak about it till december one oh, but i'm excited that i know i know such a tease. i know and the irony is we're recording this before december one and when it this drops it'll be after december one so it's just gonna make you guys have to wait and so there's <laughs> the suspense and that's it so uh it's been crazy i'm trying to get everything in order and figure out what's next and uh line it up so you know as you've been talking about it i know so as you've been talking about it the last few weeks i've been like i want to say something everyone's getting uh, a new job you get a new job you get a new job fuck it (laughs) i wish oprah would just give me money and then i wouldn't need a new job No, you'd still need to do something. We always talk about that because I play the lottery and I, we talk about like when I hit it big, if I'm still going to operate. And, and I said, yeah, I think I'd still operate just for fun. You know, for not sure as you much. Would. Yeah. For but, sure you would. Yeah. What else? You'd be like doing? concierge. You'd be, you know what you would do? I can, I can see it. You're in LA. You would find some dude that would <laughs> need his like concierge shoulder and elbow surgeon and it would be Cuff Daddy. You'd make him call you Cuff Daddy. and he and he would have your cell phone and that's it and so this guy would just legit not call you until he needed to call you and that'd be the only guy you worked for no or we would just do the podcast all day long and talk about dumb shit like not working (laughs) like not working so and i have so much dumb shit to talk about that's cool. Well, congratulations <laughs> on the new job. Um, that's always scary. I mean, that's, you know, respect. That's definitely ballsy. And I just went through that. So it's going to feel weird for a while. It still, still feels kind of weird, but it's starting to feel more normal in my new norm, which is cool. I was just talking about that 
the other day how like it's starting to feel normal but th those first three months were weird you know just everything's new new people new everything new hospitals new surgery centers new, new ways this, to drive new home that, new staff yeah new Starbucks exactly. people like new new whole foods people different whole foods different trader joe's <laughs> Tell so me that you're... I go through, but like you make friends, you know, you go, you go to the Trader Joe's all the time, and like I usually make a friend, and like you know I talk to them and I interact with with the workers, so it's like you know you got to make new new worker friends now. It's 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 a big deal. Can we not gloss over that <laughs> if we go if Bobby pulls that clip? Tell me you're a vegan in California without telling me you're a vegan in California. <laughs> And it's going to be you saying, I met you people at Whole Foods and there's two people getting me my oatmeal uh, latte. <laughs> oh, shit. That's funny, dude. Yeah, no, it's, it's weird. You'll see. True. I know. I'm looking weird. forward to it. I'm 50 years old, starting over. Love it. Do uh, I can't help talking to strangers, man. You know, that's my job at work. It's just I have to talk to strangers. <laughs> that's it. Real quick, that's our job. <laughs> we walk in. Think about our job. Let's let's stop for a second. As an orthopedic surgeon, what do we do? We listen to people complain. That's why we call it chief complaint. So there's multiple complaints sometimes, but we we talk about their one big complaint. And yeah, they are funny. strangers. So Patient, patients ask, come in and yeah. they, they apologize for complaining, right? And then I'm like, no, no, this is this is the place. This, this is where you this is what we do. This you Say come it. here and you complain. And so when you get home and somebody's complaining, you're like, listen, I've heard complaining all day. So uh, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. Let me eat my vegan pizza and cauliflower <laughs> crust with fake cheese and broccoli. And let me enjoy this. That's you. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. <laughs> no, it's not. I love what I do. I, I, I really do love what I do. But uh, it's it I'm excited to see what's next. Spe speaking of being vegan, it's always weird. It's just Thanksgiving. Like that's like the worst time to like try to be plant-based. You know, you gotta make some concessions. I feel like that's that's cheat time, you know. But like when that turkey comes out and, and everyone's looking at you because you're not eating it, it's always awkward at the family table. So it's funny, you know, my kids are hilarious and they use much of the slang we talked, you know, we talk about on this podcast. And so I, I made a spatchcock turkey. Do you know what a spatchcock turkey is? Mm -mm. So you'll like this. So as an orthopedist, you cut the spine out and then you compress it down on the grill or in the smoker. So essentially it lays flat. So it allows the smoke to convect and cook more it's it's a lot more even and it cooks way faster than if you just do it in the oven and it's fabulous so as i look over and my kids my one my son's going to town on it and then he's ripping it up and then i look over at my oldest and she's tearing it off my youngest is ripping through it everyone's having and they're like this is gas this is bomb this is i'm like yeah is, is, is this all good i mean like get what kind of gas i mean no 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 that's not a gas bomb. grill. No. Bussin is yeah, bussin. Oh, it was boss. I mean, I, I heard every slang term for it. And I like, I actually, I think I may have texted you and said, what does this mean? And you're like, this is good. This is good. I'm like, all right, cool. This is good. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
Yeah. No, but the, the slang is wild. I have, I have this caddy. I adore him. His name is Sterling, and he's he's the best, and he works his ass off, and he's actually a graphic designer. Uh, but what's really cool is he always keeps me on, on my toes, and he always wears, like, the sickest shoes while he caddies. Like, they're not even made for, like – it's, like, gold Converse, like, bright gold Converse. And he'll wear those to caddy. So it's like sometimes you can't even swing because the sun's hitting them and they're like in my eye. I like have to tell him to stand back. But this kid's great. So about a year ago, he says to me, I'm like, hey, uh, we're playing on Saturday and we're playing at this time. Can you be there? And he writes bet. And I'm like, at the time, I didn't know what that meant. So I'm like, hell yeah, there's going to be betting. I mean, we're, we're playing golf. Of course we're going to bet. <laughs> you betcha, dude. That's an oldie. Everyone's been I using know. I don't know I what, what no, I'm going to no. do when my kids keep me young. You know, they're going to be gone soon. And then I'm going to like grow old. I got to, I don't know how I'm going to keep up with the vernacular. I'm going to sound like an you old man. Come hang out. Come <laughs> hang out with me. My kids, my, I still have at least uh, seven years with my young ones. So she's only 11 this year. And now we could go to Bobby's house because his kids are even younger. We could see what's up. We could be like <laughs> uncle, uncle cuff and, and uncle Pharaoh. Uh, yeah, dude, like my daughter, uh, came home over the weekend and it was good seeing her and it felt like normal again. And then, you know, we sent her back to college and kind of sucks <laughs> when they go to college, but, uh, yeah, she's having fun up there. She actually, she goes, uh, she goes up school, uh, to school up in NorCal. She actually likes NorCal better. Have you ever been in NorCal? I love NorCal. NorCal's Nor gorgeous. Best golf, best wine. Yeah. The Napa. Now I go, to, I live up in Napa. Do we know any orthopedic surgeons oh. in Napa? We got to get them on the show. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. We're going to have actually in a couple, I think just after the new year, we're going to uh, talk to a orthopedic surgeon who is also a former professional baseball player who's at Stanford. What? So we <laughs> say it ain't, look at, look at me dropping just like little hints of the future. I'm going to tell you about my job. I'm going to tell you about some guests. Spoiler alert. Yeah, NorCal is super nice. I feel like you'd like it. There's like trees. They have trees up there. It's very green. Uh, they have uh, weather. They have a lot. Of, they have rain, and you can wear jackets there. <laughs> like it's SoCal, you can't really wear jackets too much. So my cousin and uh, her husband are up there uh, by Palo Alto. So they, I have yet to go visit them, but uh, I just I want to get up there because my kids are dying to see the like the big giant redwoods. And we want to go to the Redwood Forest and we want to drive through a tree. And so they're pretty excited about that. So one of the days we'll get up there. And the problem is then you have your kids with you and then they want to go to, and then I want to go to Napa. And what am I going to do with them? So yeah, they don't have they, a Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they do for, they do for adults. It's called wineries. Yeah. But then you can't take your kids there, which kind of sucks. You know, see, that's what they need. They need a <laughs> yeah. winery that you have like childcare. Yeah, that's like a that's a resort. That's a resort. <laughs> okay, all right. Then they need more resorts. They need like a, a, a what's the place like a water slide place, so like kids can just be in the water park all day. Parents can go drink wine all day. I mean, I, how could that go wrong? You could do you could do a bunch of that in Palm Springs. Palm Springs is nice because you can go to like a resort, drink, and then you could play golf. And they have people to watch your kids there. And there's shit for kids to do. There's like lazy rivers. You probably like Palm Springs. 
I love Palm Springs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hot though. It's pretty hot. But like the it's people that hot. live there, the people that live there get used to it. They say like they, you kind of just, I guess they, their, you know, their, their temperature, internal temperature equilibrates, but like, they don't think that it's hot. Like we would. So this is where we're going to get into the whole dry heat thing. Like Arizona, like I don't oh, know it's we, dry heat. It's fine. We gotta, we gotta ask our friends who live there. I know my buddy Amir lives there. He's actually, um, works with Pat St. Pierre now. Well, interestingly enough, Pat St. Pierre is going to be with us in a little bit. So we'll ask him if your friend's any good at what he does. What? I didn't know. That. <laughs> uh, there it is. I'm just <laughs> dropping little nuggets. No, yeah. my friend Eamon lives in, uh, in Scottsdale. And uh, he is actually originally from Indiana. And so I'm like, what the hell are you doing out here? And he's like, oh, just it worked out. Da, da, da. But he can acclimate to anywhere. So what's interesting is he he's one of these guys that has so much knowledge and so many things. So now he's like an expert in weather because everybody who moves to Arizona becomes an expert in weather. You ever notice that? <laughs> it's like they start talking about like. Dude, so but cool everybody stuff. needs an expert, right? Like I would I would be friends with that weather expert person and I would text them for weather updates. That's that's the best. <laughs> I'll text them right now. I'll be like, bro, what is, what's going to be tomorrow? Because it's cold as shit here in Cal. And uh, I was going to say California. In right. Michigan, it is like cold today. It is presently 24 degrees. I mean, it dropped quick. You got to have so, an expert friend at everything, right? Just like somebody like really good at random shit. All right. So what kind of expert would you want to be? What do you want to be an expert of? If I, if I said to you, give me three things you want to be an expert of. Give me them. Uh, be surgery. Uh, nope, nope, that's your job. Nope. Oh, that's my job. No, like, okay. like, like something else. <laughs> oh, something else. Uh, yeah, I want to be an instrument expert, <laughs> a musician. Like, what, what kind you? of instrument? An like, instru any instrument. instrument. Like, it doesn't matter what instrument. I just fucking pick it up and I fucking throw down. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I'm good at all of them. Oh, for music. Yeah. Got it. All right. And then, music, uh, got it. Probably coffee. Like coffee. Well, like, like like, yeah, like know all about the beans and shit and like where it was from and how many, <laughs> what, what color is it? All that weird stuff they talk about. Um, and then, oh, dog expert for sure. Oh, that's a good one. But like a Think about getting another dog. A dog trainer expert. I'm, I want to get <laughs> another dog. My kids, two of my kids don't want another dog. One of them does. They're like, I can't possibly love anybody more than Felix. Felix is our <laughs> labradoodle. And I'm like, that's the dumbest shit ever. Because if that was the case, I would have stopped that child one. Yeah, that's not true. After after each dog, you love the newest dog the most. Well, that's what they're worried about. So don't tell them that. But it's true. Because I have three. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, I'm torn. I'm torn between a French or it's a, an, an English bulldog. It's going to be the new favorite dog. I know. I'm torn. Well, what about we'll you? Maybe what I won't go. Be an, what are you going to be an expert? Golf. I want to be an expert in golf. Not just playing, but like the science behind it. Because there's there's so much to it, which I think is really cool. And like, like a doctor of involves, golf. Yeah, I like that. DG. <laughs> what is he? He's a DG. He's an OG DG. I'm like, all right. Um so I definitely 
don't want to be an expert of beer because I just can't. I just, I, I literally can't. I know a lot about bourbon. I know a decent amount about wine. I just can't also know about beer. And then beer experts, uh, sorry if any of you guys are listening, but God, it could be so annoying. And it's, <laughs> I just can't. What? I just can't. I can't. I mean, like when they're like, this one's really hoppy. It's like, uh, whatever. <laughs> I can't. Um, uh, gosh, cars. I, you know, I know a decent amount about cars, but I would love to know mm -hmm. more, like all the different engines and especially everything changing to electric and just be an expert with motor vehicles. I think that'd be pretty cool. But here's yeah. the problem. We're saying we want to be experts at this, but is there, like, are we self-proclaimed experts, like LinkedIn experts? Sorry, LinkedIn. Where, no. uh, you know what I mean? It's like, you just wake up and then you just add to your title, car that's expert. Different. That's different. Like a lot of this stuff is like, so you can actually like be interesting, right? And like, correct, talk, correct. Talk, talk about shit, right? Correct. But what so I'm like, saying is, is there a... Is there a test you're going to pass to become said expert? Yeah, like a Somalian. At, and did you know that Pat St. Pierre, our guest tonight, is also a Somalian? <laughs> Look at this. Look at all these sick I'm ass segues. I feel like I'm on a show. Uh, you're on a show. Yeah, and dude. You're walking that's right crazy. into it. Like the Somalis are nuts. I saw a like a documentary on them, and they're like eating dirt, and they're like. You know, looking how the fucking wind blows and shit and throwing feathers. It's wild and spitting into cups and like telling you where the grapes from is insane. So I, I, I was talking to my youngest tonight. I go, Lily, what should I ask our guest? He's a Somali. She goes, What's that? And I told her, she goes, ask him. And she's laughing. She's she's my like she's my one that just always jokes. And she goes, ask him what the difference between red and white wines are. <laughs> And then she looked at me and she goes, I don't know what you should ask him. He'll figure it out. And then she like walked off. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so to be an expert of all the things we just talked about, we would be self-proclaimed experts. But to be a Somalia, I mean, the stuff that you have to go through, and I'm actually excited to ask him uh, these, like these levels that you become. Like, how do you get there? Like, how do you persevere through it? Especially when you're as motivated to become a great orthopedic surgeon and kind of a legend already. And he just like adds to it. Of, oh, by the way, I'm just going to become a Somali too. I mean, like, I, I just want a couple minutes to get a workout in each day. He's like, nah, I'm going to I love that. It's going to take me years. You that's know? awesome. That's yeah, just I think like, it's awesome. That's just like saying like, I'm fucking awesome. That's what's up. <laughs> it's like it, it's like saying i'm fucking awesome and now i need a cherry on top yeah. but i i love it because he does it for himself no one yeah. else and i think that's so important to do things that like make you better and by you being better i think you're better for society i think you're a better person and i think you know, how many people actually wake up in the morning and say i'm doing this for me not many <laughs> yeah and you got to stay motivated too that I, i'm really impressed by that that's uh why don't you uh, introduce him and bring him on? So why don't I introduce him? So my friend, Patrick St. Pierre, is our guest tonight, who not only is this amazing orthopedic surgeon who's 
done many things and he's become an expert in shoulder, especially in reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. But, you know, he's been on some other podcasts and he's talked about that. But tonight, I just want to dig into Pat, not Dr. St. Pierre. I want Pat. And I want to hear what he has to talk about, like how he got to where he is. We can quickly go through that. But I want to know, I want to know the whole sommelier side. And I want to know all the things that he's going to do when he retires 45 years from the day he left the Air Force Academy, uh, which is going to be really cool. So let's bring him on, Pat St. Pierre. Hey, what's going on? Well, I was really loving a lot of the talk ahead of this, except <laughs> you said I graduated from the Air Force Academy when I graduated from West Point. And there's a I huge did know that. Hold difference. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bobby, send him out. Send him out. <laughs> send him out. I did say that. And you know why? It's because we had Provincia on last week and we were talking about Tokish. And it's like the three of you. So we got Naval Academy, we got Air Force, and we got you and with the army with the uh so it's that's that's on me My and bad. it's always good when we have when those games come up because we do, we do like to uh banter with each other and kind of except you know oftentimes we don't rub it in because we know it hurts so badly that like after we beat air force after they were un, when they were undefeated this year i didn't Call Tokish and rub it in because you know I I know how much it hurts. So <laughs> we're usually pretty gentle on each other. No, but that's a good one, and it and I respect that. But you know I'm a Michigan State fan, and you know Michigan's really good, and Michigan State is not tough year this year. Um, it's been a tough year, many ways over, and even though we got this great new coach yesterday and today, like seven of our better players just all entered the transfer portal. So this is unfortunately the new world we live in in sports. So I, I actually like the academies and whatnot, where it's like these kids are there. They're not leaving. They're going to play good, bad, or ugly. They're going to put everything out on the field. They're going to put everything in the classroom. And if asked, everything on the battlefield. So I think those people like you and those students that are there now, I mean, mad respect for you guys because these kids these days don't understand, and I hate to say it, but they they – First sign of adversity, let's move on. What's next? I quit. And so to get where we are as orthopedic surgeon, we couldn't have done that. To get where you are this deep in your career and the other things you've done, I mean, you, you have to persevere through some pain. So I think that's that's great that the academies teach these kids that. Yeah, and and they do make some concessions uh, for the, like during their regular season. Their, their uh, class load is a little bit lighter than everybody else's since they need an afternoon to practice. And and people realize that, you know, this isn't just, you know, NCAA uh, volleyball that some people follow, but not everybody. It's it's football, you know, and it's on TV. And um, so they get that a little bit, but they do not get any cuts on classes and what they have to take. They all have to take calculus. They all have to take physics. They have to take chemistry. And there's a big core curriculum that you can't go to, you know, to any of the academies and take basket weaving, you know, 202, you know, it's just not going to work. So, and then they also have all the physical requirements, all the, um, you know, the athletic training, and they have to pass a standard army 
physical fitness test or Navy or Air Force. Now, those two schools, it's a little bit easier fitness test, but <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's the rev. Do they make you fight? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, uh, you in your first year, you have uh, two of the mandatory physical education classes um, are wrestling and boxing. So you yeah. do have to box uh, and uh, and people can get knocked out. <laughs> it certainly happened. And, That'd be cool and to watch. Have, um, you know, the other <laughs> mandatory uh, classes are gymnastics and swimming. So in your first year, that is not easy. You're not a gymnast and you don't have flexibility and stuff. It's, that's a hard course. And if you're, if you're not a swimmer, everybody's got to swim. So that's all part of it. So you went through all that, then you went to med school? Well, first I went to, I went in the infantry. So back in my years, so at the end of the seventies and early eighties, um, they had allowed a few doctors from the military, well, only West Point at that point, and to go to medical school. Then they shut it down because they, there are a lot of hardcore infantry armor officers that say the military academies are only for um, for leaders and combat fighters and all that. So in my so when I first got there, they'd shut out down the program. So I was a civil I had a civil engineering degree that I was in line for. And then in uh, my junior year, they changed the um, the requirement and they said that the military candidates were going to allow two percent of the class to go to medical school if they get it, if they can get in. And then um, so I changed my concentration. Actually, we didn't have a, we only had seven electives, I think, seven or eight electives. So I changed out of, um, out of engineering into our basic life sciences so that I could take uh, organic chemistry and, um, and all the prerequisites. But most of the prerequisites, we actually all took. Yeah. But it's mostly the chemistries, biology, uh, P-chem, things like that. So that I, when I graduated from West Point, I already had I had the academic requirements to get to medical school. But my senior year, I was a company commander. And so I was in a leadership position and I had all of my mentors saying, no, you can't go to medical school. You need to go out there and be a leader. And so I thought about it and I said, well, if I go in the infantry, which is what I did, I can always go to medical school later. And but if I go to medical school, I'm never going to get a chance to experience that infantry time. So I decided to go to, to in the infantry and <laughs> um, I went to airborne school, ranger school. I was, uh, and then I went to Korea and led combat patrols on the DMZ for a year. And then in Korea, I decided I wanted to go to medical school. Wow. So, that's crazy that's such an so awesome my, story <laughs> my next assignment i was supposed to go to the 82nd airborne and and then i called my branch and i said i really don't want to continue and i want to apply for medical school and they said well you're an infantry officer we've got a lot of those we don't have as many military doctors so if you get accepted then you can go so um so i changed my assignment to the from the 82nd to the honor guard in Washington, DC. And luckily got selected for that. So I went and marched and did parades at the White House and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and buried a lot of soldiers in, in, uh, 
in Fort Myer. And, um, and then I studied for uh, my MCATs, took my MCATs and then passed. And then I went in or got in the next year. So Pat, wow. this might be a silly question, but do they know, or is there an idea of the unknown soldier? I know that's been asked, but like, do they have an, an idea who that is? No, they, um, they don't. So, um, so at the tomb, the original one, what I believe was uh, from the Civil War, and then others have been added. Um, and then when they're identified, I think um, there were some, uh, there was one from uh, Vietnam that was identified and then removed. And, but usually they're, unfortunately, soldiers that are not recognizable. You know, and, and back, mm -hmm. especially back in the early years, we didn't have the dental records and all the other stuff right. they, they use now. So, so how many are there then in that? If you said that it seems like that there's multiple, I mean, did they have a number? I don't there? know the exact amount, uh, okay. but there's, there's, I think they, they try to go one representative per war. So there's like one from World War One, one from World War Two, one wow. from Vietnam, one from Iraq. And things. Unbelievable. Well, thank you for all you've done for our country. I mean, it's a better place because of you and, and others like you. So, I mean, that's that's fascinating because I know my story does not have that many. Mine sounds uh, boring. I know, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to be a doctor. I, took I thought it was cool, but, but you had way more adversity. Always, yeah. Well, that's um, why I, I tell people I had to learn how to kill people before I learned how to fix them. So. That's kind of the way. That's, that, that's pretty true. But one of the really too? great things, just to finish that story, is um, you know my decision. I, I always wondered if I did the right thing because there were four of my classmates went on to medical school right away. We were the first class to be allowed to get back into medical school. So there were four people that that went through, and I was said, "Well, you got such an advantage." But being in the infantry and being able to go to airborne school and ranger school, and eventually went to pathfinder school, and so I was able to get a few badges to wear my uniform and have credibility. So um, uh, that was huge because so, I spent a total, I'd spent 24 years total in the, in the military and retired as a full colonel. And that whole time though, I had credibility because, you know, soldiers would, couldn't come in and, you know, think I was just, you know, a, a doctor from MASH and they're going to, tell me they, they want to get away with stuff. So they couldn't pull things over my head. And I said, you know, well, you know, your company commander is a friend of mine. Let me give him a call and we'll see uh, what we need to do. But <laughs> but most people were pretty good. I mean, they were very legit. And and as you hear, you know, from the military academy, because now we have doctors from Navy and Air Force that are pretty prominent in doing studies. And, uh, and a lot of it is about shoulder instability and different things. And they have to get back to a very high level of activity. And in, unlike other play, other schools, you may decide, well, you know, I'm not going to run track anymore. I'm not going to do this. And, and you may not go back to D1 status, but everybody's got to go back to being, to running a two mile run and doing push-ups and sit-ups and doing all those things and get graded on it. So the, the level, you know, with the studies that come out of the academies uh, is very good. And now the military and some of the other places, because, we do have really good follow-up because they have to come back. And then uh, we also get, um, you know, we uh, get them back to a very high level of uh, activity. Now that's, it, it's crazy because 
when when you write studies now, if, if and you don't know who's coming back, but for you guys, I mean, with like Dickens and Owens and you know yourself, all those guys have such amazing follow up because, like you said, it's those guys have to get cleared to get back. So that's an authority. But we did when we were in the military. Now all right. those guys are out, and I'm out. I mean, I, and it's you know we're in the same world everybody else is, and you can't mm -hmm. get people back and. And it's hard and you have to have support to keep things rolling and doing things. How, how come all the other military doctors go into shoulder? Is there like a thing? Why did you go into shoulder? <laughs> well, you, you know, were like it, one of the originals too. I remember not, I'm not fanboying, but I remember when I wanted to go into <laughs> shoulder, I looked up all the prominent shoulder surgeons in California and your name was one of them. And I was like, Oh, this, Pat St. Pierre guys in Palm Springs. Okay. You know, so I've always kind of known about you. So how, like, how did you get to be to that point? Well, you know, for me, it started off with Bob Arciero. So I showed up as I believe a medical, a senior medical student doing a rotation at Madigan army medical center up in Tacoma, Washington. And Arciero was out there in the hallway and he was getting ready to leave to go to West Point. So I knew I wanted it. Well, I know at that time, at least I knew I was interested in going back, going and doing the sports medicine fellowship. So we had guys who led the way like Garciero, who didn't go to West Point, but then eventually went back and was like our team doctor for, you know, a decade. And um, so his involvement, but it really started before him because John Fagan was really the first academy grad who went on to doing stuff. And John, who's our, he's like the godfather for all of us. And uh, he was one of the uh, founding members of AOSSM. So, but John was a knee guy, not a shoulder guy. And, uh, but then we started coming up, but there's, uh, so at my class from Madigan Army Medical Center, which is just, you know, it's a military medical school and, you know, it's not, you know, the rushes and the Mayo clinics and stuff, but RCR was a graduate. My senior resident was Carl Basmania. And then I came along. And so the shoulder thing started and, um, and actually, I've had both of them have operated on me. And uh, Bob did instability when my shoulders dislocated. And then I fractured a clavicle on a bicycle race. And Carl Basmania put the old Rockwood bolt in it. And eventually that <laughs> had to come out too. Um, so, and I've operated on Bob. And, you know, so it's kind of like we've, we've all shared it. And you recently had another surgery. And you're what, like nine, 10 weeks out now? Oh, no, no. Longer? Uh, I'm... Actually, I'm five months out from rotator cuff. Oh, shit, it's that long. Yeah. yeah that so, went fast. Uh, but I, I was back to work at six weeks, but mostly using my other arm. But um, that's, but, what, that's but, what a surgeon you know, says. Raymond Ferry did a good job. <laughs> I went out, I played golf for the first time this weekend because we had family over and uh, shot a 40 in the front nine. So that wasn't so bad after not playing for six months. Damn, that first round. With Fury, but not, not quite. Uh, no. We'll get we'll get you back. I mean, you're yeah. gonna have plenty of time to catch up here in a second because you're gonna have a lot of time off, which is good. You deserved it. So we got a question I can't for wait you. That long, so anyway. Well, wow, how much longer you got? When when is retirement? Well, as you mentioned, I was gonna retire on May twenty eighth, two thousand twenty five, which was the exact day, uh, forty five years later after going in the, the military, graduating from West Point. Um, however. There are some bylaws uh -oh. issues and other things in uh, uh, within our group that may make me stay to the end of the year. Um, 
but I'll probably maybe go part-time at that time. I'll do something. <laughs> I was just going to yeah, say, like, get... most orthopedic surgeons don't really retire, it seems like. They just, like, love what they do. And, like, I was talking about that. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to retire. Like, maybe work. Well, that. see, that's the point. That's why I'm really glad I'm on is to, to take on the discussion about the sommelier stuff. And, and, and we all have a tough time retiring because you can't replace the ego satisfaction we we get when a doc when a patient comes in and says doc you saved my life i can raise my arms and, yeah that's the best <laughs> uh, you can't replace that you know if someone says damn i really like that wine you know it's just isn't quite the same thing but you can't get you can't get sued for serving a bad wine either so there's there's pros and cons to both so i think doctors need to have a plan you cannot just retire you have to retire to something you got to have something else to move on for because you know, I'm still working full time and I'm going to work full time, you know, at least for another full year. So um, the um, you have to have a plan and it can't be, well, I'm going to, you know, sit around the house and drive my wife nuts or <laughs> hope I'm going to start playing bridge. You know, we we move at too fast a pace. You have to have something to move on to. So I think it is very important. And the earlier you start to start thinking about what you want to do when you retire, because we all can't keep going. And there comes a time when your skills do diminish and you don't want to be the guy being forced out because you're not doing a good job. So then why wine? Where did that come from? Uh, well, the wine thing, um, well, I always liked wine. <laughs> and <laughs> the, um, and I, I, um, let's get that one. So is it's a mentor, it's mentorship. So, and funny is a friend of my wife's who actually happened to be an Air Force Academy graduate. And but he graduated a decade before me. And he was one of these guys. Um, he was kind of a spook in the Air Force. But when he got out, he became one of these CEO for hires and he'd get hired by companies and he'd turn things around. But he was just uh, you think my story is remarkable. His was just crazy. I mean, he uh, he was a very diminutive guy. He's like five, eight but he ran a four minute mile, you know, and at the time that Ryan and LaCoury were just breaking the four minute mile, he was right behind him. And he was also a golden gloves boxer. And so he did all these different things and, and he had done the certification. So he was um, already at a level four when I met him and started talking to him. And then I said, well, you know, I kind of like this. And we'd start discussing wines and breaking them down. He was teaching me. And then the movie Psalm came on and, um, and then I had people running up to say, hey, you got to watch this movie, Saw Me, because once you watch it, you're never going to want to do all this kind of stuff. So I went and I watched the movie, Saw Me, and I said, I think I could do that. So then I just <laughs> kept going. And and there were times when, uh, you know, it really took a total of 15 years to get to where I am. But I would study, you know, I studied before I moved out to Palm, I got level one or two at that point. And then I came out here and then practice started and you're doing all this kind of stuff. And earlier on when I had kids that were competing in sports and I was coaching or teaching or doing some or going to their games, it was a lot harder to do that. But once I got settled here and then I could uh, carve out some time to start doing stuff, um, uh, then I started the certification process. And, um, and we're pretty good at taking tests. We've had to take them for a long time. Uh, but I took for level three, I went to Napa and I took a boot camp where you studied nine hours a day and you tasted 60 wines and you had you had like level four, level five 
people there teaching because you can't learn it on your own. You have to have someone who says, well, you know, I taste this and and then you go back and then you taste it and you don't you never even saw it before. But after they mention it, then you start picking up these things and then you get better and better and better. Um, so that was a one year thing, but or a one week course. But even then, we had 21 people from all around the world in my class, and I think eight of us passed. And we and they dedicated a whole you know, a whole week, nine hours a day, and uh, and they tell you you need to study and and know all the book knowledge before you even show up. Or you're not going to pass. So it's just it's um, reconfirming everything and really you know solidifying it to take the test. But there were only two wines to taste. Level four was a whole different deal. That's five tests and you have to write a paper and it takes two and a half to three years to complete that whole process. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so this That's is going to be a dumb question. It's going to be a dumb question, okay? But I'm gonna I should have had a glass of wine, but I knew I could be <laughs> talking You get paid to be a sommelier? Um, well, no, yes. Um, sommeliers do get paid. And they like um, a lot. <laughs> uh, well, my wife looked it up. I feel like you should get paid a lot because that's a lot of learning. Yeah, but my wife looked it up. She said, "Don't quit your day job." <laughs> so, uh, and there's a wide variety, and there's there's two different major pathways. There's the master of wine pathway and the master sommelier pathway. And for people that have watched the movie Psalm, that those are four guys who were at level four studying to become master sommelier and that last level is very very hard in the the master of wine world um because I, I don't know the number specifically for the other one but it's like 300 and something there's 408 masters of wine in the world since 1969 and you have to be part of industry i can't even apply i would have to be done with orthopedics and i'd have to have a job in the wine world to even be able to apply and start that process and that can take another two to three years and travel and everything else so that's a it's a big commitment and so a lot of what people was the heart will study and take and they'll fail and some people never get it so pat what was the hardest part for you i mean it sounds like it this is a very time consuming endeavor but at the same time here you did it while having a very you know flourishing and thriving practice you're the team physician, or I should say the physician for the Indian Wells tennis tournament out there. And you were on Netflix. We'll get to that in a sec. But it's like, where do you find the time? And then also is able to shoot 40 five months after having shoulder surgery. So, I mean, you, you're, how do you manage, like, there's only 24 hours in a day. Sleep's overrated. Agreed. I don't that. <laughs> no, uh, well, actually, I, I never would have been able to pass without taking time off. So what what happened was when I started level four, you, you take a few tests. And that was back in I probably started the process in, in 2019. And then. Um, so I passed the first couple of tests and they're graded to a certain degree, but um, the first couple. It's, uh, so the first test is on. Um, viticulture so what you do in the vineyard you know and then you have to learn about diseases and uh different uh, treatments for the diseases and which ones affect different uh, varietals and uh and then methods of pruning and all the trellising and all that kind of stuff so that's all that one section and then the next test is on um 
viniculture. So it's what the winemaker does in the cellar. So uh, all about racking and and then sorting and having to know how to do that and to select the wines and what and how it relates to the quality of the wine. And that's really where it all comes back to for this level. And you, um, so you learn about all that. You learn about, you know, and unfortunately in the United States, there's about 70 different additives that can be added to wine. And that's why when people get headaches and they buy cheaper wine and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it's, it's usually because of all these additives that are added to get it to a certain color. But that's usually, you know, that's your under $20 wine. When you start paying more, people don't do that. They're really, they're, you have better grapes and um, and they're trying to really nurture um quality out of the out of the grapes and have a wine that represents their style and their region so uh so that's pretty much throughout the world and then then there was a, a test totally on sparkling wine so champagnes but cremant and also sparkling wines in the united states so you had to know all of those different things and now in that in that one there's tastings so um you will get three so you have a whole written test and for the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which is the pathway to become a master of wine, uh, it's all handwritten. And the Court of Master Sommeliers is more of a vocal thing. So you you get to see your instructor. And so you can not use nonverbal clues to your benefit or detriment. And um, But they start to learn and you have to talk about it and, think, and you have to think on your feet. Uh, but usually the people that go to that are the ones who plan to be a sommelier in a big time restaurant. But when I retire, I don't want to be serving people wine. I want to be served wine. So the master of wine pathway is more educational. So it's to teach. So that's what we've done for all of our lives. So that seems like the right thing to do. And hopefully that's sort of the path I get to eventually. But we did. And then you have to do fortified wines. Another test is on fortified wines. But the big test, the hard one, is the wines around the world. So you can get tested on everything. And I know I could never pass this test. The pass rate's, you know, 30%. And, um, and but plus or minus maybe 5 to 10%, depending on the year. But it is very, very hard. And um, so I had, I decided I had both my hips replaced. So I could take three months of disability and study. So two days after my first hip replacement, I was studying 10 to 12 hours a day, sitting in my Fitbit would go off, you know, saying I hadn't done any steps. So I'd do five minutes of hip exercises and I get back to study. (laughs) And luckily for me, it was during COVID. And so originally I was going to have to fly to Napa for long weekends and do tastings with everybody else on the weekends. And so that got shut down. So they ended up uh, putting all the wines in like three CC bottles and cork and then sending them out. We would get a big box shipment and then we would sit and we'd have all the students just like this, you know, on Zoom. And uh, we'd each taste the wines and we'd talk about it and we'd go through it and describe it. Because when you do the, the final test, you have to describe the wines perfectly and you have to, you know, what the aromas are and what the intensity is and what the color and if there's any faults and then when you taste it you have to talk about acidity and alcohol and balance and um and the length because all those things contribute to how well the wine uh, is rated how good it is and all those types of things so it isn't just about you know saying well it tastes like you know blueberries or apricot you have to be able to and and you will fail if you if 
the wine is a medium plus wine for acidity and you say it's medium minus you lose that point and um and you really have to be spot on now flavors a lot of people get some and some people don't so you can list some flavors and, and there are ways to gain the test a little bit you know you once you pick blue you know you're going to put down as many of those blue variations that are kind of in there so that you'll get more points but you can't be totally off uh, or you will fail and then uh, so the final test um, is one, the first day. The first day is just um, uh, um, it's all academic. So you come in. Every everybody sits at separate desk. There's monitor, you know monitors walking around the room. You have to pull out your phone, turn it off, put it away. If anybody pulls out their phone during the test, all tests in the room are invalidated. So I'd be pissed if you pull out well. your phone, Sharif. Yeah, I would knock you the <laughs> fuck out if you pulled yours out. So, um, so they give you four questions. You have to hand write three of the answers. They say if you don't write three and a half pages of answer, you won't have enough points. And if you go off topic, so if they ask you uh, how does the um, uh, how do the soils in Champagne contribute to the wine in Champagne? Then you know it's it's like a single question, but you know that they want you to go back to, you know, 1800s and 1900s and talk about different things. But if you start talking about how the climate or what somebody else does, then then you fail. So it's and it's all graded by the Brits. So you write these things, you put them in an envelope, you sign them, you seal them just like you did for boards and everything, and they get sent back to London. Then they open them all up, they scan them, then they send them to Masters of Wine around the world to grade them. And it takes three months to get your results back. I mean, this is, this then, is more serious than medical school. Oh, uh, way harder. They studied way harder. And then, yeah. then you have a one-hour lunch break. You come back, they give you three questions, and you have to answer two. But like in mine, all four questions the first time were all from Europe. So I knew that the afternoon was going to be, you know, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. So I went back and I just studied all those things and just dumped as much of Europe out of my brain so I could learn the rest of it and then then come back and take the test. And sure enough, that's where they were from. So if I was designing the test, I would change it around so that people can't figure it out. <laughs> so that's a, that's a test taker, though. I mean, that that's a test taker brain. Like you knew what you hadn't seen. And that comes from the medicine side, I think. Right. And I also looked back at uh, the last 10 years of tests and what they had tested and tried to figure out what, what went on. And then the second day, so you come back the next day, and then you get six six wines. And they come around, and then you pour, you know, and it's two sets of three. And then one set of three will be three wines from anywhere around the world, but they're the same varietal. So it could be Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. Cabernet Sauvignon. And then the next three are the from the same country. And they could be red, white, sparkling, whatever, but same country. One hour break, come back, and then you do three more that are from the same region, and then three more wild cards so they could have anything in it. But again, you have to handwrite all the description of the wine, and then you have to answer the question. So like for the varietal is, um, you know, what varietal is it? Yeah, put it in. And uh, where are these three uh, from? 
and how do you support your conclusion based on what you tasted in the glass? So you have to write all that kind of stuff. And then they'll say, you know, so, and you had, uh, I think an hour and a half for the first, for each one of them, but it took that long. I mean, your hand's going like this at the end, you know, because you're just shaking so much. And, uh, but there were, but you don't have to get them perfect. You know, they don't expect, very rarely do people can nail it, you know, and say, oh, this is from that vineyard and that. I've only seen that. I saw one master wine take take a taste on a blind tasting. And he said, this is from this vineyard this year in Australia. And he nailed that. But that's pretty rare. So, um, so it's a, it's a tough test. But I needed to take those three months off. Yep. And that, so I got both hips. I had them uh, done five weeks apart. Because originally I wanted to have them both done, but then I was going to have to stay in the hospital. And then, so my surgeon said, because we they were anterior approaches, get it done. You're out of the hospital in six hours or less, and <laughs> come back five weeks later. You do the other side, so it's perfect. That's wild. Do they? You know how we go to the shoulder meetings that we go to? Do they have meetings like that for sommeliers where you guys just go and like give lectures to each other about wines and stuff and hang out? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple. So the each of the big organizations will have kind of a yearly thing. There's also the Society of Wine Educators that does some of these talks. And obviously, you know, that's one of the things I'm thinking about doing when uh, <laughs> I move on. I'll do so some it's teaching. Different, so it's just, different, but the same. Yeah. <laughs> so you've already designed a shoulder implant. Is, is the next move to design your own wine? No, that sounds like work. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, actually, we had that. an opportunity to buy a vineyard, but being not at my age, you know, maybe if I was 30 and, you know, that's your first career, not not your second for sure. And I've had three because I did the military and medicine at the same time. So um, now I, I, I'll be doing mostly teaching, but I'd love like judging, you know, so I've still got a pretty good palate and um so tasting wines and judging and and i think that's a way but you really have to find your niche and and i can't i'm still working full time so i don't have time to go out there and interact with all these people so i'm yeah. it's probably gonna have to wait till I'm, I'm able to get out so pat let me ask you this there's in in golf when you see a guy that says i i went pro and then you play with them and he's a remarkable player and then you find out he's like one of these mini tours and then you see an actual like pga guy there's a huge difference yet they're all pros so is that synonymous with like the differences in wines like why is one so much better i mean you know you have a screaming eagle which is they say it's the soil it's the this it's the that but how different I mean, it's all Napa, but how different are those ones that makes like one really good, one really great, one off the charts? Like how big is that difference between each level? There can be a huge difference, um, but there's, it's not just simply looking at the price of the wine. And, For sure. um, you know, you'll hear some of these stories that, you know, <clears throat> that experienced tasters tasted two buck chuck and they picked it as the best wine or something like that never happens. So. <laughs> When you're in a really experienced taste, there's no way you're going to get fooled on the really low end wines. Personally, I think the the real sweet spot is to spend thirty to forty dollars on a bottle of wine that should be over a hundred dollars. That's 
that's the value that you really want to get because you know you're going to get good wine. Now, when you talk about Scarecrow, Screaming Eagle, some of these cult wines, that's a lot of marketing. Now, I'm not saying they're not mm-hmm. good wines, but you know, you're you could probably find uh Napa Valley. Well, I know you can. You can find Napa Valley cabs that for most people, really almost everybody, that wine's gonna be really good if you're drinking it with dinner and um compared to the thousand dollar cult wine. So, but the people that buy that are the people that money is not an issue. It's you know, the Chinese billionaires, it's the you know. People, it's the actors, you know, you, you see mm-hmm. you know, Brad Pitt going and buying, you know, a case of this stuff, you know, so they have so much money that it really doesn't matter. So, um, so they can buy that stuff. And we did an Anna fundraiser and uh, in San Francisco, and we had Screaming Eagle and we had Scarecrow and we had, you know, several others and um, the wines were good, but I know I wouldn't spend that much money on it because I, there are other values but you're going to have to probably like for Napa, anything you're going to have to spend a hundred bucks to get a decent wine because that's just the way it is. Um, what's your favorite wine? Like, let's say what's, what's your nightly drinker for dinner? Like if you want a well, nice favorite bread. nightly is two different things. Yeah. So I really love um, Syrah uh, from the Rhone. So Jean-Louis Chauve, Northern Rhone Syrah from Hermitage is one of the best wines in the world. Joash, uh, he lives mm-hmm. just in Lyon, just north of Cote Roti. I mean, his favorite wine is Cote Roti. Cote Roti is really, really good, but it's and it's a Syrah on these really Cote Roti means the roasted coasts are the uh, of a bank of mountains that go up, and the um, they create amazing Syrah. But then they they will blend Viognier, which is a white wine, in with it, and that's allowed up to like ten uh, percent of the wine. And it really does make it a, an amazing type of blend. So I, I love Syrahs. I enjoy tasting a little bit of everything. So like my cellars, I have two homes with little cellars in them. And um, <laughs> yeah, subtle um, flex. I have a little bit of everything. So my wife, though, drinks Cabernet and Chardonnay, and she loves those. And it's really hard to get her to jump off of things. But uh, she'll taste them, and she's a good sport about trying some stuff. But um, I think there's wines for um, all different occasions. And, you know, when you're in the heat of the summer sitting by the pool, you're not going to drink a big mm-hmm. red cap, you know. And uh, I did. So I do a sports radio show with two of my partners. And every Wednesday we come on and uh, we spend 20, 30 minutes talking about football injuries and who the fantasy football players should play or count on and do different things. And we're in the, the league as well now that we've been doing this for 10 years. and um, so they figured out that I know about wine. So they brought me on on an unsponsored segment uh, on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And they had people send in their their Thanksgiving menus. And I paired wines to all these different things. So there were some really weird. We had some salmon meatloaf and some prime rib and different things. So, uh, so that's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Hey, let me ask you this with, I don't know if you remember this, but in, I think it was like the early 2000s, it might've been that guy, I think is what Rudy Kernawan or something like that. Yep. And he essentially created wines to taste like old wines. He had such a really, a, a, such a palate 
that he created these wines in his apartment and then yeah. actually sold them at auction. It was, it was a wild story. And people like Somalias couldn't figure it out because he knew how to make it. It's bizarre. He wasn't I mean, selling to Somalias. And he it, wasn't no, making sold it wine. at auction. So Rudy, Rudy was, uh, but he was a great choice. So the movie in the book, Sour Grapes, is a great movie to watch because he's from Indonesia and he started some business and he had some family money to get started. And then he started tasting wines and he had a really good palate. And so it's unfortunate you get a guy like that, but just turns to the dark side, you know, and he started. <laughs> Nefarious. Yeah. And then he started, and this has been done many times, but you know, people create labels and, um, and then they would counterfeit or somebody, this is why, like, if you have a really uh, expensive bottle of wine that you bring to a restaurant, you take that empty bottle home with you because people can then fill it and recork it and then sell it. So that's what Rudy was doing. And he, he had some of the best wines, but he was having just incredible numbers. I mean, he would have cases of, DRC, which is Domain Romani Conti, which is one of the most expensive and great Pinot Noirs from Burgundy. And he would just have, you know, all of a sudden come up with two cases that nobody has. And he sold a lot to the Koch brothers. That was one of the things. And his people have a reasonable taste for wine. And then I uh, and then they spend this money and they want to share it with their guests. But it's and it's good wine, but it's not what it was sold for. And um so eventually what happened, uh, because if you go back in these years, the labels change. And uh, it was, I'm blanking on the name, but it was uh, one of the domains in Burgundy that he kind of stole. And he put this label on and it was 1942 or something or 52. or, And uh, the owner and the winemakers looked at it and said, we didn't have that label in that year. And that's what really turned it on. So then he started tracking Rudy and looking at this stuff. And then they turned it in to the the feds and the world, whatever organization looking at all this stuff. And finally they busted him. He just got out of jail. So oh, really? Jail. Yeah, he just got released uh, about six months ago and went back, got uh, extradited to Indonesia. He's laying low that's right now. Fascinating. Uh, well, yeah. uh, why Who knows what he's doing? Gangster. It is. <laughs> Speaking of gangster, so Pat, I don't know if you've listened to this show, but we play this game called Keeping a Gangster, but we're going to do a wine edition to you. So we usually show you slang and you have to tell us what it is. So we're going to, we're going to make this about wine. And so okay. Dana and I are going to go back and forth. So I'll I, probably, I'm going to uh, show you. The... Won't pass too much of this, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I think this will be easier than the test you've taken. I have a little shoulder. Right. I have a little shoulder in there. I'm going to mix okay. it. Yeah. I'm going to hit yeah. you with the shoulder one first. This is a two-part, okay? Keeping it gangster. Where was the reverse shoulder arthroplasty made? So is this an actual question? Yeah. Or how do you want me to make it gangster? Like, like, like where was no, it no, created? No. It's just, no, you can just huh? answer it. Oh. Yeah, just say the answer. So Paul Grammont in France. Leon, France, right? Yeah. Well, was he from Lyon? What grape variety is associated with Lyon, France? Well, there actually isn't any wine grown in Lyon. It's just south of Lyon, which is the Cote Roti, so it's Syrah. 
Well, they said, I got you don't even know grape. the answer. I'm not sure. The, the answer was Gamay grape. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gamay is in Beaujolais. So that's that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gamay is, uh, but it's also a really good varietal to, for Thanksgiving. But Beaujolais is, is in the region of Burgundy, but not. And there was a duke that actually outlawed Gamay from Burgundy and made them remove all the gamay and take it out so that Pinot Noir could be the star. See, Andy's smarter than the internet. <laughs> so I got a really quick question. So here's my question. What do you pair with a vegan meal for Danny on Thanksgiving? Oh, well, it just it's all about spices. And um, you can do some amazing vegan stuff. And... Um, but if you're going to have roasted things like that, you know, I, I would try because your your vegan meal is going to try to match what Thanksgiving is all about. Right. So you're going to have uh, faux meat that's sort of like a turkey. You're going to make a turkey roast or something like that. And so I would do the same thing as Pinot Noir, Chateauneuf de Pop, which is a Grenache based uh, wine that works really well on um, on Thanksgiving. So I, it's all going to be about the spices. That sounds good. I, I actually drink all wine. I'm more plant-based because I know there's there's some wines that get like filtered through cat bladder, and that's kind of a no-no for some of these people. But I just yeah. basically yeah, because that yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if they 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 add um like egg sulfites and or to, to drive the, the sulfites out of wine. Yes, yeah, so I drink those things. So <laughs> but if you go, yeah, I mean it just depends how hard line you want to be. But yeah. the natural in fact, my paper on in for my level four is I had to talk about the growth and, and development of natural wine. So there are some natural wines and there are some people that really believe, you know, I'm going to take all the chemistry out of it. We're no sulfites, no nothing. We're not going to, we don't worry about bacteria. You can all get sick and it smells funky. Yeah. It's like, um, and it's not taken off because the wines just aren't as good, but you can, you can go down that way. What do you got, Sharif? All right. I got, what is a chunky monkey? <laughs> chunky monkey is a, uh, it's a uh, standard shell um, short stem altivate. Okay. But <laughs> Wait, that's pertaining- you know, this is, this is <laughs> my, my PA's name for the device. So the big short stem, see, he's called that the chunky monkey. Chunky monkey is also okay. an ice cream. When pertaining, oh, here comes Bob. Here comes Bobby. All right. Hey, Pat. Sorry, I got to cut in for a second. You really got to dumb it down for these guys. Like they clearly are not keeping up with you here. So <laughs> you got to give them like the kindergarten level answers to all these questions. <laughs> now, but when pertaining to wine, what is a chunky monkey? Uh, I don't know. Do you find something like that? Oh, a wine with a lot of sediment. I've never heard that, but that's I, I can get that. Okay. It, so you want to talk about sediment? <laughs> <laughs> What's flabby? I, I actually like some of these words. Like, okay, so flabby is when you take when you drink wine and you want um, so you want some acidity. You know, you want something to be bright. You know, and mm-hmm. on almost every occasion, you need some acidity to make it bright and sharp. And um, so if you're drinking it as an aperitif before dinner or out by the pool or, you know, for cocktail hour, 
you want acidity so that it makes your mouth water and you want to eat food. Uh, and when you're eating the food, you need to have at least something that's going to cut through it. So flabby wine is when it's lost that it's kind of just, it's like drinking grape juice and mm -hmm. it's, there's nothing distinctive about it. There's nothing interesting. It's just drinking grape juice. So that's exactly right. When there's no acidity or structure. All right, Danny, what do you got? What's a terror? I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's terroir. <laughs> oh, see? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's a terror? It's when you ask questions. <laughs> I was sorry, he's going to say terrier. That's a dog. But terroir yeah. is the, it's a, uh, it's a French word that there is no English equivalent for. And it means the, it's, it's the, the whole encompassed, um, climate aspect uh soils it's all that makes something special in a wine so wines really should reflect where they come from and we know that you know there are wines that have granite soils and they're going to produce that type of experience and uh, most times it's a it's a it's a mixture of uh marl and uh, limestone. So limestone is really good for things like Chardonnay and things like that. And Pinot Noir, you want to have a mixture because the limestone gives you the acidity, but the marl and the clay is what gives it the body. And then the different minerals in the soil can contribute to what the structure is as far as tannins, which are the, the, the tightness that you get at the end of the, the bottle. So, um, so Tora means just that. It's it's what makes Burgundy special compared to everybody else. That was such a good answer. And I feel stupid because in my little notes, I would remember I wrote dirt. <laughs> but you said it <laughs> just you said dirt. It so much better. Okay. And that's the difference between I you did and pass you. the test with high honors. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that's All awesome. right. Pat, what is ABC when they say anything ABC? but Chardonnay? There it is. All and right. that wow, came out because. In the 80s, um, you know, Chardonnay was really the big drink. And still, there's more Chardonnay bought and sold and made in the world. And it's a sort of a blank canvas so that you can make whatever you want. But in Napa, they started making really buttery and oaky Chardonnays. And the thing is, when you start adding oak, then you can really distort the flavor. So people that like oak, um, then they can add this stuff into it and then make it a terrible wine. And that's why a lot of people went away from it. And then the whole Sauvignon Blanc and there's all kinds of different, you know, Chenin Blanc and different things, but ABC was all against that. And most of Napa has gone back the other way, but there are wine, there are Chardonnays out there that when you drink, you, you think you're drinking a cardboard box. It's just awful. So part two of the ABC, which was interesting to me, is cougar juice. What is cougar juice? <laughs> um, <laughs> cougar juice uh, can be, um, I don't know, it's a modern station. <laughs> no, so, uh, no it, it made an explicit logo on our podcast. It's fine. The, uh, well, there are... Um, I like how it's thinking. But there are um, 
kind of well just like you know there there's men men that go hang out and drink beers and they like this beer you know it's Coors Light all night or something right and right right juice is is for um women groups that get together we, yeah. and they drink in particular one wine and they just can't get away from it and probably it was Rombauer which is the one that was listed there but there are some other ones that are it's almost like these wines can they're almost like cocaine they just can't stop and it gets very addictive. Oh, I like Malbec. Okay. <laughs> yeah, California Chardonnay or Malbec. Yeah, they're stuck to it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. With how bad, I know we talked about sour grapes and a couple other things. Um, how bad did Sideways the movie and still to this day, I mean, it's like over 20 years old. How bad did that hurt the Merlot market? Yeah, so... Um, have a great story about this because Sideways really turned the whole wine market around. And uh, Miles, who was the big wine guy, and uh, you know he did this whole trip up Paso Robles and and the coast, and didn't go to Napa. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but it was more in uh, the central coast region in Paso Robles that where he did all that. And um, so he goes to the bar, and he it was like. I don't want to drink this Merlot because Merlot at a time was just, was getting flabby. It was like people were trying to make this stuff that just appealed to the masses and there was nothing distinctive about it. And so the mass marketed Merlot got to be pretty bad, just like the mass marketed Chardonnay. So, um, so Miles, you know, and then he takes a glass of Pinot Noir and he says, oh, this is feminine and delicate. And this wine is so difficult to grow. And it really is because you have to nurture these vines and you got to watch to see whether um, uh, on every turn and every change of what the climate is and what the weather is, you know, it could change and kill your wine. And, but this is the most difficult and that's why a lot of people don't make it. And um, Mal and then Malbec sales, or not my, uh, no, uh, Merlot sales just dove. I mean, and the chart is pretty amazing. I mean, it is like this. You know, Pinot Noir went off the charts and then Merlot went down. And the funniest thing is, have you both seen the movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it's been so years, in the movie, yeah. at the end of the movie, well, so Miles had a cherished bottle of wine. And, you know, after he got dumped um, and he's he stops at this drive-by diner type of place, sits in there, he's got the styrofoam cup and he pours this wine into this glass and he, he's drinking it. Do you? You probably don't remember, but that wine was a 1961 Cheval Blanc. Cheval Blanc is 90% plus Merlot. So the whole thing about the movie is that they came back at the end and he gave Merlot a step back up. And some of the best Merlots are right bank Merlots that are $800,000 a bottle. There are some really, really good um, Merlot. And but he drank 1961 Cheval Blanc, which is a priceless bottle of wine. But, uh, but it is Merlot. But it turned it around completely. Well, as you know, Paul Favorito is a, a big wine snob, too. Here's uh, <laughs> Demalier. Hey, I know, no, 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 Let me finish. <laughs> Two, because I, I call Eamon and Paul snobs because they just they know a ton. But they're a little snobby with it. 
you're a sommelier you're in a different class so i'm putting you up there but with paul actually he educated me a bit and every time we eat dinner together he always gets a great bottle of merlot and he's like to this day it's so great because the prices are still significantly lower on the merlots compared to the cabs and, and the Syrahs and whatnot so he's educated me quite a bit i'll, I'll never say i'm an expert but it, it's it's been fascinating to like just enjoy those wines like that dinner we had in, in san francisco yeah. that you talked about i mean that was incredible and it, ironically the scarecrow and the um screaming eagle were not my favorites of that yeah. night and it, it, I mean, i'm drawing a blank was it uh coglin was one of them yeah colgan uh, was one uh, or colgan thank you uh that was was great. it was the two sisters and i'm blanking on that one too wow anyway we had some good wines yeah and it, but but again we've had some great wines we've had a great time tonight i mean i'm glad we didn't talk about medicine i'm glad you really kind of dug into the wine stuff because <laughs> it is about, awesome you, you talked about paul uh purchasing wine when you go to a restaurant there's there's yeah. another hour long episode on how to read a wine list and where to get your values. Cause I don't buy Napa Valley Cabernet from most restaurants because they've already, it's already over a hundred bucks and they marked it up three times. So mm -hmm. it's, and I have the bottle in my own wine cellar that I purchased for 80. So I just can't force myself to do that. Even if you could, you know, or you can. So, um, but there are ways to, and that's when you start looking for the Syrahs and the Malbecs from Argentina and the Chilean cabs and uh, Australia, New Zealand, and all the other places, because those you're going to get a much better deal when you go out to a restaurant. I know, because uh, the one night that Paul and I, there were six of us, he was here, I invited him to play in my member guest, and we went to this great steakhouse here in Detroit, and we spent five grand on dinner and wine, and 3,500 was wine. <laughs> and i mean and it was i mean it was awesome we had a great i mean we had some really really great wines and but it, that's it, when you want to have amazing. a place that has a corkage fee and you buy the wine you bring it in exactly right. it's a deal exactly. to pay 25 bucks or something for a bottle that you're going to save hundreds on oh absolutely it's worth every penny but now i'm going to bring my bottle home so they don't reuse it now i see danny i learned, see, I learned, I learned so something tonight We've learned so much. I'm going to listen to this episode a lot and just repeat what you I said. Too. So I sound smart. But Pat, you are you are wonderful tonight. We we thank you for like having just spending some time with us, and I, we might take you up on it on the next episode of how to read a wine list. I mean, that's something that many of our listeners would probably be like, "Oh my God, let him talk, let him talk!" But it's already been almost an hour and a half. We gotta we gotta give you a break and. And the West well, there you go. So, um, yeah, come back, talk about a wine list, and then maybe we uh, we pop some wine. I put like a notice that. out that you know we'll do it of how to taste a white and a red. Ooh, ooh, Bobby, come on, Bobby, come on out. <laughs> All right, Bobby, we now? need you to help. You need you to help facilitate this. So he's going to send us wines to our homes so that he can, we'll all drink the same thing. Oh, and I he didn't can say teach that. us how to do. It. Oh, oh, I think your producer has to produce the wine. That's okay. You tell us the wine, and we'll buy it. <laughs> well, no, I'll, just, 
I'm going to cork everything at my house, no labels, send it all to you guys, and you're going to have to figure it out on your own live. I, I love it. Have you ever had Damoski wine? <laughs> have you ever had Damoski Maltese wine? It's 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 not very good. <laughs> it's gonna taste it's gonna taste like shit, but at least we're gonna figure out the exact acidity. The, I mean all this stuff. It's gonna be fantastic. Extra tannins, please. So but Pat, thanks so much for coming thanks on. Thanks for coming on. Loved having you. It was awesome. And yeah, we're gonna take you up and we're gonna figure out a way to do this uh in another episode. Well, maybe we have, you know, some of your uh, expert uh, wine aficionados like uh, Eamon and Paul. Ooh. And then we we'll like throw this. a round table on it. Not Ooh, I like where this is it. going. All no, right. this is great. Pat, you're awesome. And we didn't even get to the Netflix stuff. We'll do it next time. Next All right. time. All right. Very good. Thanks All for right, coming, brother. Pat. Thanks so Thanks, much for coming on. See you, Pat. That was fun. He's interesting. And we some shit. I, I'm inviting him to all my parties. I hope he can come. <laughs> if he comes to your party, you don't yeah. even have to talk to anybody because everyone will just like congregate yeah. around him. And yeah, he's got, and he just I mean, I, listen to him I all can night. Just listen to him. Yeah, that's what I'm sure. saying. Like, like he's the type of person you need at your party because like people you just talk to and learn about wine all night. What a great night! And I'm boring, so it's like you don't want to <laughs> hang out with me. Yeah. what do i bring to the table nothing i'm so impressed so i just that, i can't get past the first glass like i like the first glass and the wine and i appreciate it but once i get a little drunk then i don't even know what i'm tasting and it's hard for me to spit it out you know i'm like i'm not gonna spit it out i know it's <laughs> like when they say when you go to napa you're you're not supposed to drink it but like by the fourth or fifth vineyard you're like i'm pretty i'm feeling pretty good like i don't even know what i'm drinking right now but <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's uh, but that's kind of like orthopedics on the fifth or sixth case you're on cruise control so same thing that's right, right? well not same I thing. hope everybody enjoyed our episode uh, this wraps it up tonight uh, thanks for tuning in to I'm a pot star not a doctor it's your boy Cuff Daddy out and it's the American Pharaoh and I want to say thank you as we are hitting a milestone of our 15th episode and this will be the last one for 2023. We are going to have one more where we're going to do a recap. So I, again, as I started, I just dropped little nuggets. So our next nugget is that our next episode, we won't have a guest, but we'll have all the guests because we're going to pick the best of each episode and, and show off and say what we liked. And we thank everyone who, as we built our listenership this, uh, this fall, to hang out check us out for that and then next year we got a lot of cool stuff happening so join us again find us where you find your podcast and find us on instagram and find us on tiktok and find us on youtube and i'm out peace peace trying to get a lot of dough anything is possible Turn me up in the headphones. Yeah. Grind to get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. Yeah. Grind to get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and buy my nose.
The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent.